us an example of how he can or will, and I'm going to emphasize that, he can or will deliver the righteous from the wicked. Deliver the righteous from the wicked. Now remember, guys, apostates. Make no mistake here. Apostates are false teachers. Make no mistake in what the, the, the purity of the Holy Scripture has done. Apostates, these false teachers, are likened to the angels who left their first estate. They're likened unto the old world uh, whose genetics were perverted by the angels, who, the angels who left their first estate and sinned. And they're likened unto the imaginations of, of a time when people's uh, thoughts or imaginations were evil continually. And they're also likened unto the citizens who committed these unlawful deeds of Sodom and Gomorrah. So all three of these major judgments, the major judgments upon the angels, the major judgment upon the old world, the major judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the plain, all of those are likened to apostates, to false teachers. That may be a hard pill for some to swallow. Some people may look at that and say, hang on a second, wait, you mean God destroyed the whole, the world that was and all the flesh thereof, except for Noah and his family and the animals that were chosen? You mean God destroyed them because they, their, you know, their, their imaginations were continually evil, just wicked, wicked, wicked? God destroyed the cities of the plain because of the wickedness that they were performing? God locked in judgment, the angels who left their first estate? You mean to tell me that he's equating them today to those that teach false doctrine? doctrines just across the street and up the road from us? Yes. That's not my words. That's the preserved inherent inspired word of God. That's what he's doing. And I want us to remember that, guys, because we and in the world we live in, we live in a world today that as long as somebody rolls over and gets their belly scratched, they're happy. Okay? As long as we live in a world today where we sit there and we think, we emphasize, turn the other cheek, walk the second mile, give the coat as well as the cloak, but don't have any judgment, okay? We live in the world today where all the liberals want to say, judge not that you be not judged, but they forget the second verse. For what judgment you meet shall be measured upon you again. Amen. If we're going to judge someone, we're going to judge them through uh, the, uh, the lens of the Holy Scriptures, not through our own opinions or preferences. I think that's a, a, a horrible, wicked, vile movement that we've had, especially in our circles to where we've stood in judgment because this preacher didn't wear uh, this certain color tie or he didn't part his hair on this side over here. That's perverting, guys. If you're judging according to preferences, you've left the doctrine of the Holy Spirit of God a long time ago, and you've just become a, a really and truly a measuring rod up to yourself. That's what you've done, and you're wrong. But when we begin to look through the lens of Scripture and takes God's, take God's judgment and take what His writings are and link these apostates to who and what they really are in God's eyes, they're false teachers. They, are, they have already uh, heard the Word of God. They've rejected the Word of God. They've ridiculed and mocked out the Word of God. And now they've steadily, over the last several and many decades, looked to replace the Word of God. Okay, they're not saved people. They're not backslidden. They are heretics. They are apostates. So let's face it, guys. This is a hard comparison. When you stop and you think that your counterpart, your friend who holds to the Catholic doctrine or the Anglican doctrine or the Calvinistic doctrine, and they hold to those things, and that's their belief, you, they're, they're, they're just as bad as the angels who created vile, multi-mixed, supernatural creatures. They're just as bad as the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah. Say that to them one time, see what happens. So when you stop and you think about that, that precept right there, that's a hard comparison. But you know what? Keep in mind, it's not you making the comparison. 
It's God, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given to a man named Peter who penned it identically the way God wants it. That's what we need to understand. That's what we need to take on board. Most of us today would never think of likening the wickedness which resulted in the destruction of all flesh, other than Noah and his family, along with the chosen animals, or the perversion of Sodom and Gomorrah. As a matter of fact, many will preach against such wicked places. Many will get up and preach against the, the, the acts and the lifestyle that Noah, not Noah, but in Noah's generation. They'll, they'll get up and they'll preach. Noah was a righteous man, preached for 120 years. Nobody listened to him until the rain started falling. And they'll get up and they'll preach against Sodom and Gomorrah. They'll preach against all the vile acts that was committed in those cities. And yet the whole time, in the back of their head, they're holding to some type of damnable heresy. Baptismal regeneration, infant baptism, okay? Calvinism. Guys, those are damnable heresies, and they're taught by apostates. They're taught by false teachers who God says, you're just like the angels that left the first estate. You're just like the, the civilization that I destroyed. You're just like the perverts of Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he's saying. So put that in your pipe and smoke it, and I understand that may hurt somebody's feelings, but that's exactly what it is. Do you understand? We need to know that today. As a matter of fact, guys, I'm telling you, it is a very, very hard comparison, but it is true because they hold to a vile doctrinal statement. So, beloved, God, whose opinion is the only one that matters, his opinion is the only one which matters in our life. God, let's make it very clear for those in the back. You know, no one's in the back in here, but what I'm saying, for those who may not want to hear or they just may want to overlook what I'm saying, God, whose opinion is the only one which matters, equates false teachers, i.e., Catholic priests, Pope, bishops, whatever you want to call them, Anglican vicars, okay, archbishop, whatever you want to call them, Calvinistic teachers, and the such like. He equates those to the people of Noah's day and the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Bottom line. That's Bible. That's 2 Peter chapter 2. That's the book of Jude. When Jude said, look, I wanted to write of our common salvation, but instead the Holy Spirit wants me writing that we must earnestly contend. And I'm going to ask you this today. Are you going to earnestly contend for the doctrine that the Bible teaches? Are you going to earnestly, are you going to agonize over it? Or are you just going to roll over like a dog and say, well, you believe what you want to believe and, you know, you go ahead and do what you want to do. What are you going to do? Are you going to take a stand? Are you going to develop a backbone and say, you know what, I'm going to stand on the truth of the Word of God and mark those apostates among us and do everything that I can to pull people away from their faults and vile and wicked and damnable teachings? Are you willing to do that? No doubt in my mind that most of you in here today, and probably those who are listening, if a building caught on fire and you heard somebody in there screaming uh, to help, you would not think once, you wouldn't think twice. You'd run in there and you'd yank them out of there and you would help them, wouldn't you? You most certainly would. No doubt in my mind that if somebody was carrying bags up the steps and you walked past them, you, you would offer and say, hey, may I help you please? And yet we'll sit there and have coffee and conversations with people who hold a damnable doctrine that is going to sentence them to a devil's hell for all eternity and which just happy-go-lucky. What's better, man, saving a, saving a person's body out of fire, helping somebody carry bags up the steps, or giving them the truth to pull them away from this damnable teaching that these high churches, Catholic church, Anglican church, I'm just calling it like it is today, Calvinistic churches, if you're a Calvinist, guys, and you believe in Calvinism and lock, stock, and barrel, you are not saved, and you are not going to heaven. That's it. If you believe in pure Calvinism, 
As if you're chosen to go and there's nothing you can do about it, you are not saved. That means you never came under conviction of the Holy Spirit of God. You never made a public profession of accepting Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. You never followed Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you think, well, you know what? I'm chosen. I was always going to go to heaven. There's nothing I need to do. That's a damnable heresy, and you're not saved. Amen? That's what we're looking at. That's the reality of it today, guys. And I know that this is going to go over like a lead balloon with a lot of people. I don't care. You find it in the Word of God that contradicts anything that I'm saying here today, and then I'll, I'll retract it, but you're not going to. So the reality is, even though apostates are vile creatures, and that's what they are, there can be, listen carefully what I'm getting ready to say, because what I've said up to this point is pretty harsh, and I get it. But even though apostates and the congregations, okay, that they are deceiving, even though the apostates are vile creatures, even though they teach damnable heresies, even though they are likened unto, the, unto Sodom and Gomorrah, the people of Noah's day, the angels who sin, even though God is linking them to the, those people, there can be a few people, albeit rare, who are saved within their congregations. Absolutely. They are saved despite the apostates' teaching. Let's make it personal. They're saved despite the priest in the dress teaching. They're saved despite the vicar with a dog collar on who drinks the pints down at the pub, despite his teaching. They're saved despite the Calvinistic teaching. Not because of, not a result of, but in spite of. For this reason, and for this reason alone, we find what we have seen in our verses this morning, that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will offer to them to be delivered. He'll offer them to be delivered. Look there in verse 7. And again, guys, I know this probably is strange. And I, if, if I'm, when we look at this part here, here's what I want you to have in your brain. Grace. If there is an epitome of God's grace ever found in the 66 books of the Word of God, it is found right here. Verse 7 says, and delivered just lot now that doesn't mean only lot that means justified can you believe that can you believe that here's lot and what he had done and i think it's a quite an amazing amazing verse that the holy spirit refers to lot as just this is to say righteous guys righteous look here in verse eight it says uh, uh, for the righteous man for that righteous man all right very specific for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing and that's even to say that he was godly. Look in verse 9. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Now, honestly, does that not blow your mind? Is that not amazing today to sit there and think, man, Lot here was the nephew of Abraham. Abraham gave him the choice of wherever to go. And he goes, I'm going there. And he went to this place, and all of the, I mean, the vile acts that were being committed in his sight, in his ears, with his family, okay? And the Bible calls him just. God calls him righteous, calls him godly. I'm just telling you, man, it blows my mind to read that. It amazes me to see the beauty of the grace of God in the midst of someone who is, and we'll get into it in a moment, vexing his righteous soul. It can be difficult to imagine why in the world would a soul stay in a city like that. Well, let me revert it back to where we are in this lesson. 
Why would a soul saved and born again of the blood of Christ sit under false teaching they know is wrong, much less raise their family in the midst of damnable heresies? Why would they do that? Well, we just don't have anywhere else to go. You got a car, drive. We have trains, buses. Bible-believing churches are around. There are few. I know there, there are very few and far between in our area. I know of two. <laughs> our two. I know of a couple others in areas. You know, guys, I mean, that, that's what we need to understand. This is what Lot did, but it's no different than those who still sit in a church where they believe in transubstantiation or baptizing of infants or uh, worshiping of Mary, even though they won't admit it out in the public, but they still worship Mary, the prayer of the rosaries. Hail Mary, mother of God. It's no different than that. You, so you've got to stop and think, well, let's, try to, let's step into the, the sandals, if you will, of Lot. Why was he doing this? God called him just. God called him righteous. God said he was godly. Why would he stay there? First thing I want you to see was a level of comfort. There was a level of comfort where he was. I have one verse on here. We're going to go to Genesis in just a moment. But Genesis 13 says in verses 12 and 13, Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord. Watch that next word, exceedingly. These cities of the plain, guys, were the most beautiful part of all of Israel. Remember, I go back to something I said a few weeks ago, that Israel was the land that what? Floweth with milk and honey. It was a gorgeous, beautiful land. And out of all of those lands right there, I heard one preacher liken uh, Sodom and Gomorrah was the Switzerland of our day. Out of all the beauty, all the beauty that you had uh, in all of Israel, the land that flowed with milk and honey, those cities of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah, which is the Dead Sea today, or the latter portion of the Dead Sea, okay, was the, the most pristine, the most beautiful out of all of them. Abram said, hey, you go where you want to go, I'll go where I go. I'll go the opposite direction. Cities of the plain were beautiful land. They were a land of comfort. They were a land of commerce. They were a land of great wealth, but they were also a land of great wickedness. So Lot was comfortable. That's one of the reasons. The second reason we're going to find, which is going to link to us today, is that it was convenient. Again, I go back to the question, how in the world could someone, having heard the truth of the Word of God, I've had people who were raised in Anglican church, churches. Uh, they know the Beatitudes left and right, which is the doctrine for the, uh, second, uh, for the uh, millennial kingdom, um, but never heard John 3.16 before a day in their life. Never heard John chapter 3 preach, you must be born again. Never heard that, but heard the Beatitudes, you know, the, the meek shall inherit the earth. Works, works, works. And yet they continue to go. They hear the truth, they learn the truth, they sucker their family into it. They go and sing. They do all these different things. But here's what, here's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Why do they do it? Well, they do it because, number one, it's comfortable. You're not going to get a, a, a message from the pulpit much like this that's going to convict you, that's going to get on your toes, that's going to call you out to stir you up to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. But the other thing is convenient. It's linked to tradition. They keep going, they keep attending because it's what they've always done. Well, I was just raised in this. Well, this is all I know. No, it's not all you know now. You know the truth now. And that they'll continue to go back and go back and go back. Knowing that the guy's not preaching the truth. Knowing that his doctrine, his doctrine doesn't stand on the truth. Knowing, in reality, that the man's apostate. Or in today's world, a woman. 
false teachers, guys. So we find that Lot, even though Sodom was a vile, wicked city, okay, and God delivered him from that city, praise the Lord for that, but even though it was a vile, wicked city, exceedingly before God, the Bible says, it was a place of comfort for Lot. It was a place of convenience for Lot. But I'm going to have you turn to Genesis here in just a second. Here's the other thing. What cost? Yes, it's a place of comfort. Yes, it's a place of convenience. But what cost came with that? I want you to turn to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 19. We'll come back to 2 Peter here in just a moment. Let's get, I'll give you plenty of time to get there. Genesis chapter 19 this morning. Genesis in chapter 19. Genesis in chapter 19. I want you to see one of the costs. We're going to see several of them, but I want you to see one of them here is mentioned as those angels roll into the city there. Genesis 19 and verse 12. This is what the Bible says. And the men, speaking of those angels, and the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. Now notice what he's saying. Do you have any, uh, have any here besides, you got son-in-laws, he's proven that. You got sons, he's proven that. And your daughters, proven that. Of course, you know we got his wife. So we know for number one, if he had sons-in-laws, he had other daughters that were married. And we're going to touch on that in just a second, so you know, just bear with me. So number one, there, we see the loss was in son-in-laws. There's proof right there, the son-in-laws. We know that there's sons that were lost, that he paid a price for them. There's only four people in the house, and then plus the two angels. We saw that here when these vile, wicked men, these sodomites, began to bang on the door and said they wanted to have their way with those angels. That's how perverted they were. And Lot, in his mind, wanted to give him his two virgin daughters. Have your way with them, but not these men. You know, terrible, terrible, terrible. Whole ideology, whole mindset's crazy. So we know four people's in there plus the two angels. I want you to go back with me. The whole thing could have been avoided. Go back to Genesis 18. Notice this with me. Abraham went to bat again for Lot. He went to bat for really and truly, we know, for the city, for the souls. But in Genesis 18.32, this is after uh, Abraham had, had pled with God and begged. He started out with 50. He said, and I'll read verse 26. We're going to be in verse 32. He says, and, Lord, and, and the Lord said, if I find in Sodom and 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare uh, the place for their sake. So they go down to verse four. They go to 45. Abraham says 40. Abraham says 30. Abraham says 20. Then Abraham pushes his luck because he has the number in mind, peradventure 10. What if there's 10 righteous? Will you spare the cities? And the Lord said, yeah, I will. And he left communion with them. So in verse 32, this is what we find. And he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. That's it. The Lord left communion with Abraham. Okay, if I find 10, we're going to spare all the souls. So do the math with me. We already saw in Genesis 19, 12 that the angel said sons-in-law. So let's just go ahead and say two. For I know it could have been eight, but let's just say two. 
There's a reason why Abraham figured 10. So we got two sons-in-law. So that means if there's two sons-in-laws, there's two married daughters. There's four. Yep. Um, then we see sons, plural. So let's just say two there. There's six. Then there's the virgin daughters, the two at the table there that Abraham or that Lot tried to give away to the Sodomites. There's two more. Now we're at eight. Then we got Lot and his wife. There's ten. So here in Abraham's mind, Abraham is banking on the fact that Lot has kept his family in order, that he didn't buy into the sin of that city. He already went and saved him, remember, from the king. Remember the attack that happened in the previous chapter? He already went and saved him once, and Lot went right back on into the city. And so here's Abraham thinking, you know what? He's kept his family pure. He's kept his family clean. He's, they've living right, walking right, talking right. He, he's kept them doing the right thing. But no, we find that Lot is a man of a position in Sodom. So he's lost his sons-in-laws, who for all we know were perverts. More than likely they were. He's lost his two daughters that were married unto them. He, he paid the price and lost his sons, at least two of them. And he's really willing to give up his two virgin daughters. You know, you, what cost, guys, what cost is there for comfort and convenience in religion underneath these apostate teachers? God is linking these things together. The city and the people of the city would have been spared if it wasn't for comfort and if it wasn't for convenience of wicked people. Lot lost his sons, his sons-in-laws, his married daughters in the destruction of the city. And finally, Lot departs, him, his wife, and his two virgin daughters, right? Look in verses 15 and 16 with me, Genesis 19. Genesis 19, verse 15, 16. And when, the, and when the, uh, the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, with, uh, which are here, all right? Lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his hand, uh, I'm mean, sorry, laid uh, hold upon his hand, and upon his hand, the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of the two daughters, and the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. So guys, he lingered. Now this again, this, this is equated to those who remain in the congregations of these den of thieves under the false teachers because of not wanting to upset mom and dad, not wanting to upset family, not wanting to upset friends, etc. Even after learning the truth, they linger. We find the angels grab them by the hands and all for what we can say, they drag them out and set them outside of the city. Get out of here. Even though Lot lingered, the most marvelous part of this verse, which is amazing to me, the Lord being merciful unto him. I believe there are numerous, I don't think there's loads, but there are people today within the Catholic institution sitting in the pews because that's all they've ever known, in the Anglican church, both of which under, under teachings from apostates and false teachers teaching damnable heresies. And they, never, and they linger in there, even know the truth. And what they need, they need somebody to take them by the hand and drag them out and say, look, you need to get out of here lest you're consumed with the iniquity of this movement. Guys, understand this. There's a reason why all of this is in 2 Peter 2. There's a reason why he, uh, God is linking these two instances together, the lingering within there. 
He wants us to see what the loss will be paid, the cost that will be paid for lingering underneath damnable heresy teaching underneath the apostates among us. He wants us to see what the cost is. Number one, we know it costs the sons. It costs his son-in-laws. Okay? It costs his married daughters. And now the four of them are sat outside the city. But I want you to see further loss. Look in Genesis 19, verse 26. Because she was so accustomed to the comfort, accustomed to the convenience, Lot now pays the price, pays the cost of his wife. Verse 26, but his wife looked back from behind, and she became a pillar of salt. Get the the imagery with me. But his wife looked back from where? Where was she? Picture this with me right now. Here's Lot walking. He's, He's trying to get over to Zoar. It's just a little city. It's just a little one. Let me go into there. And he's got his daughters with him. And that lady that he took into that vile city who got used to the luxury and the beauty and the convenience and the comfort of that lifestyle, she's back here. They're over there. And she's just like, man, but it was so comfortable there. I don't want to go back to the cattle feeding. I I don't want to go back to muck in the stalls. I I don't want to go into the, the little city. I like the big city. I don't want to go back to, to all that labor. I like the comforts. It was just comfortable there. It was convenient there. And where did she do? She looked back where her heart was. Done. They were already warned, don't look back, go. Get out of here. Don't even look back. She looked back and she turned into a pillar of salt. Now there's three. Look at the cost, guys. Do you see the cost with me this morning of convenience and comfort? of sticking to a religion, even though it's false doctrine, false teaching. Oh, but the singing's so good. Oh, but the youth programs. Oh, but my mom, she's so closely related. My dad, he's so closely involved. Well, well you know, we just want to do this, perform this, so it appease them. Look at the cost. There's even a greater cost that comes in, probably worse than all. Look at verse 30 through 38. Verse 30 says, And Lot went up out of uh, Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters with him, from, uh, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, and he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come and unto, in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he perceived not uh, when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us uh, make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in, and lie with him, and that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son, and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites uh, unto this day. Moab is a picture of the flesh, by the way. Verse 38, the younger she bare also, she, she also bare a son, and called his name Ben-Anamite, uh, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. So guys, get the picture with me. 
Lot lost his integrity. I'm going to go ahead and say that. He lost his character. He lingered here. He, he lost his sons-in-laws. He lost his sons. He lost his married daughters. He lingered. They, cast, they, they, they dragged him out. The Lord was merciful to him. Because of what he had given, the comfort of the convenience, he lost his wife because of turning a pillar of salt. And, and even a greater loss now. The perpetual enemies of the future Israel, Moab and Ammon. But not only that, we see the incest become a sin now as well. We see the reputation that Lot is left with as being the one who brought in the sin of incest, if you will. Drunkenness. Somebody wanted to use this as an excuse one time. Well, Lot drank wine. Yeah, that worked out well for him, didn't it? Well, Noah got drunk. Yeah, it worked out well for him too, didn't it? Having said all that on this first point, and we're almost finished, guys. God calls him just, righteous, and godly. Lot was left with nothing but a reputation of the beginning of the sin of incest, and yet God chooses to deliver him. And I believe that he did that to reveal unto us the infinite mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Were those two angels that walked into Sodom for the destruction of that city to save Lot and his family? A few days before, they were with Jesus Christ and Abraham. You say, well, Jesus wasn't born yet. Jesus always has been. The Son of God. He was a, the angel of the Lord appeared unto Abraham there. It's a theophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So guys, the Lord knows how to deliver uh, the ungodly. He knows how to deliver and bring mercy into their lives. He knows how to handle those that for some reason he's going to preserve, knowing full well that I don't see any positive thing that Lot ever did from that point forward. From the moment he pitched his tent toward Sodom, I don't see anything positive. He had a position in the city. He sat in the gate, which is a position of prestige, a position of power, a position of respect. The Bible tells us, and I'm going to save this for our next meeting, that he vexed his righteous soul day and out with the conversation of the wicked. We're going to stop here, and we'll pick up um, next time, and we'll finish this out and probably pick up a couple more verses. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day, the time, the opportunity. Uh, we ask of you this morning to please give us guidance, grace, and mercy. Forgive us where we have failed you. Lord, I pray that as we begin to look at this message and look at what you are, te are teaching us through Second Peter, that, Lord, we would be willing to recognize the severity of false teaching in the world today. Lord, let us not just pity them. Let us not just overlook them. But, Father, let us mark them just as you have, as you did the men of Sodom, as you did the people of Noah's day, as you did the angels who sinned. Let us mark those apostates among us. Let us know not to eat with them. And Lord, I pray for those that are under their vile teaching. I pray that you would deliver them, dear God. Deliver them from this type of teaching and the heresies that are taught. In Jesus Christ's name, we ask these things. Amen.
Well, again, I hope and pray that Thank was a blessing to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I do hope and pray the sermon you just heard was a tender blessing to your heart and to your soul. I hope that it gives you the encouragement, edification, to face the challenges that we see each and every day and week throughout our life. I'd like to invite you out to one of our live services here at Saren Chapel in Abraman. We are located on Lewis Street as well as Davis Street. Davis Street is the entrance to our chapel and as well as Lewis Street is the entrance to our hall and you can use either one of them. But secondly today, guys, I would like to share just a brief message to you now to ask you to where you are going in eternity. If today was the last day you were alive, if today by some tragedy, this was the last moment you had on this earth, when you closed your eyes, would you wake up and see Jesus Christ? It is a simple question, guys, and it is even a more simple answer. The Bible tells us that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, paid the ultimate price for mankind. He gave us the free pass to eternal life by giving his life on the cross of Calvary, being buried into that grave, but rising again on the third day. It is simple as this. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, guys, while we were sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ loves us so much that he gave his life. As a matter of fact, Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Sin is defined as the transgression of God's law. But what happened was the payment with, for mankind is death. Romans 6.23 clearly tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So I ask you today, what would, what would stop you right here, right now, from bowing your head and saying a prayer much like this, Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you stepped up out of the grave to give us victory over sin and victory over death. I invite you into my heart and ask forgiveness of my sins and ask you to lead God and direct me throughout the rest of my life. Now, here's the thing. You say that prayer in your own words, but you have to say it and believe in it. Remember, Romans 10, 9 says, And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That is a promise from the word of God. That is a promise from God himself. That is the promise from the creator of all things, that if you'll believe on Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, ask forgiveness of your sins, accept his free gift and pardon of sin into your heart today, that you will be born again, that you will have eternal life in heaven. Guys, I hope and pray this is a blessing to you today. I hope and pray that you'd make that decision. And if you have, if you've made that decision today, let us rejoice with you. Come by and see us here at the church or hit us up online at any of the social media outlets or through email or however you can. Just share with us the glorious transformation that you just received in your life. Guys, I hope to see you soon in the house of God. Hope to see you soon right here in Sharon Chapel. And may the Lord be with each and every one of you. God bless.